So uh, thanks for joining the first episode of First Generation, um, where uh, I'm Darian Shirazi. I'm interviewing a bunch of founders and entrepreneurs and really want to explore the stories by how people and their families came to the United States and built their dreams and built new companies. And our first guest, uh, Gagan Biani, is a friend of mine for over a decade, has founded some amazing companies, including Udemy and now Maven. And what I'd love to do is turn it over to Gagan to introduce himself, and we'll get started with a list of questions. Here's Gagan. Hey, thanks for having me, Darian. And actually, I'm doing the math right now. I think we've known each other for almost two decades, maybe like 18 years, somewhere between 15 wow. and 18 years. Yeah. yeah, it is. I think it's like we were both 16 or 15 or something, so it's got to be almost 20 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'd love to hear just a little bit about you and your background and maybe tell the audience just sort of what you've done with your career. Sure. I grew up as a scrawny little Indian boy uh, to two immigrant parents in Fremont, California, which is a an extremely um, sort of common Bay Area uh, immigrant story. My my dad was a software engineer, had an arranged marriage to my mom. The two of them moved over to the United States to start a life here and picked the Bay Area because that's where the jobs were. And I grew up um, in sort of an immigrant community in Fremont where I went to high school and, you know, elementary school and grew up playing soccer and doing speech and debate. And that's how I met Darian. Yeah, and so that, that's super interesting. Like, why did you decide to get into speech and debate? Actually, I, I wanted to start with that because I know that's where we met for the first time. Yeah, I think I just like to talk, <laughs> <laughs> and, talk and, and argue and have conversations. And my mom always pushed me to try new activities. You know, both because she thought it would keep me sharp, but because we knew that it was an, had an impact on going to college. So when my mother said, hey, you should try speech and debate and enrolled me in the Stanford Speech and Debate Institute over the summer, I immediately jumped at the opportunity and sort of fell in love with the, um, with the extracurricular activity. Um, so that's how I got in. I wanted to be a lawyer at that time. And uh, while Very I was cool. in speech and debate, I realized that I was decent at speech and debate. You know, I think you and I were in were both uh, pretty good, but I wasn't the best one on my team. And what I was actually better at was running the team. And I ended up uh, running a little <laughs> uh, side business as a kid um, where I taught speech and debate to younger students. And then that became, um, it wasn't just me teaching. Eventually it was, we had, you know, 15 to 20 of my friends were all employed at this camp, this summer camp where we teach kids speech and debate. And it became, you know, a five-figure business. And so that's when I realized instead of being a lawyer, I actually wanted to go into business somehow. Fantastic. And do you think that the the journey that your parents went through to get to the United States sort of impacted how they raised you at all to want to be an entrepreneur? Was there any sort of discussion around that? Or how did, what was the experience that your parents had uh, coming to the U.S. to impact that? It was 100% had an impact, but it was completely indirect at the same time. So my parents, I don't think they even knew uh, that a path like entrepreneurship was plausible. And I was not sort of raised on the idea 
of starting companies or building things. I was raised to be a little bit excited about computers. My dad always, you know, took us to Fry's Electronics to go buy parts and put together put together computers. <laughs> and so I was raised to be excited about computers. And then my mom raised me to just sort of do where do whatever I wanted to, you know, put effort into whatever area I liked. And so that was both of those did have an impact, but I wouldn't say that my parents ever explicitly told me about entrepreneurship. And in fact, I didn't know that entrepreneurship was an option until well after I graduated college, maybe a year after I graduated college, I started to realize, oh, people actually start companies, even if they're 21 years old. Like I didn't know that until I was 21 years old. Um, so, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say I'd say that Cal was not exactly. I mean, I know we overlapped there too, and Cal was not exactly the most conducive to helping us want to start to to in, inspire starting a company. But um, it's pretty amazing. So, so tell tell me a little bit about the you know family arrival in America, and if you have any stories from your parents, and how how that you know sort of shaped your view of immigrants, and 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 what you sort of feel like is a good experience for immigrants or, or not so great in the U.S. even today? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a mixed mixed bag growing up, you know, good and bad experiences. The good, <laughs> the, the good thing was that my parents um, instilled a number of values around education and community that I think I carry to this day. So, you know, we we had a big network of friends, mostly Indian Americans at that time, who we hung out with you know, on a regular basis, like literally yeah. all of our family vacations or a lot of our family vacations would be with this group. We'd have, you know, dinner parties every week. And I remember summers spending literally Friday at someone's house, Saturday, the whole same group of kids would go to another person's house. And then on Sunday, we'd go to another person's house, just spent all our time together and had this sense of community that I think is much more unstructured and informal that that is more like a immigrant um sort of style of living than a uh local and that was that was amazing yeah no absolutely. on the flip side i mean you know we went in and out of having enough money to afford uh sort of the education that we wanted and i certainly uh by the time i was a, a teenager was very concerned about finances because of our our sort of lack of roots here or any sort of backstop so whenever my parents had trouble it it kind of rained down on the entire family um and i think that we also just you know my parents had an arranged marriage and so while i want to glorify the um you know while i can glorify some of the benefits of being an immigrant you know i think people forget that like most immigrants come from much poorer backgrounds than than we do than most people in the united states so my family came from, I mean, extremely poor background. We didn't have toilets. When I, when I used to go back to visit India, you know, we, we didn't have toilets. We'd have a, a latrine or, or a, um, a squatty potty. Wow. And we'd shower with uh, buckets and, you know, and, and use, you know, we, we'd have hot water, fortunately, Jeez. most of the time, not always. Um, but we'd have hot water and we'd pour it into a bucket and then, you know, you'd pour it over yourself and that's how you'd shower. And so... I'd say like I grew up, my parents grew up in a far poorer area than that, right? Because that was actually, you know, two or three decades after they had, had been raised. And so uh, I feel like we were 
always in touch with that reality that we came from this place. And it also affects everything. It affects the culture you're brought up in. You know, when your parents don't know all of the, you know, people in America often don't realize, but like there are customs and traditions and expectations for how you act that are almost entirely tied to being wealthy. And, um, and you know, it's like when you come to someone's house, the fact that you bring a gift, like I didn't know that until I was in my like twenties. The fact that when you come to someone's house, you know, it's like picking <laughs> up on signals, like whether or not someone's actually interested in talking to you or not. Like nobody in India gives gives a shit about that stuff. You just sort of talk to people, and then if you don't want to talk to someone, you just right. tell them straight up. So you rely on this assumption that someone else is going to be upfront with you. And in you know Western culture and American culture, especially more wealthy cultures, even in India, frankly, if you're in a more wealthy culture, people are more polite and there's more political games being played. So you have to kind of pick up on subtle cues. And I didn't understand any of that shit growing up. So um, those are some of the challenges that I dealt with, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty incredible. Like my my family um, also from, you know, the third world and, and, you know, is from from Iran and quite common and even today is common in that part of the world. And so I think for a lot of listeners, that's such a foreign concept as well. My um, my parents definitely talked about how when they arrived tell real stories about how he did, I think he legit walked, you know, two miles in the snow to go to his like dishwashing job and came back and he, he worked in, he went to grad school in Wisconsin and paid his way through grad school. He came with, you know, a few dollars wow. in his pocket, like literally a few dollars. Cause remember a few dollars in India at that time was probably enough to like, you know, survive for a month. And so he had very little money and came to America with nothing and just sort of worked his way through school. Um, through grad school, he did he did his undergrad in India, um, and then my mom came, and you know she she had an accounting degree and a math degree. Sorry, and the problem was that she had a three year degree, and in India that's normal. And frankly, I think it's ridiculous that in the United States we ask people to do four year degrees; it's completely unnecessary. Uh, but in lots of parts of the third world, and even just frankly, even. Yeah, most of the third world, I'd say it's three year degrees are really common and are accepted as, you know, equal to a bachelor's degree. But my mom came here and essentially they didn't view her as having a college degree. And even though she was probably better at math than most people in America who got a college degree. And so she had a lot of trouble and had to start as a bank teller. Actually, she started working in grocery stores. And then from going to grocery stores, she then went to, you know, became a bank, bank teller. And then from becoming a bank teller, she eventually moved her way up into being a financial advisor. And, you know, uh, she ended up having kind of a rocky career. I mean, it was, it was good at times. It was bad at times. Um, but she did, she did sort of have to hustle her way into that. And she ended up of course, raising the two of us on her own, which was, uh, fairly difficult as an immigrant. Um, you know, our social structures are very rigid. Um, in some ways, they're more rigid than they're much more rigid than American social structure. So divorced parents are not really accepted. And so definitely dealt with a lot of challenges where we just felt like we were not really a part of right. the community anymore. Once my parents had split up. So that was, that was definitely tough as well. This is, this is complicated upbringing growing up with immigrant parents. Wow. No. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this show is just to show that the, the hardship that a lot of immigrants go through when they come to the United States and how it gives them sort of the resilience necessary to, to build things and how it, you know, creates this, 
you know, desire for opportunity because they know what not being in the United States is like and how much opportunity there is here. So I think shifting gears a little bit, I mean, I'm, I'm frustrated in the United States right now, especially given our political climate with how uh, there seems to be two sides, you know, one side that says we should let everybody in and we should give social services to immigrants and refugees and another side that wants to keep people out. I'd love to understand from you, like, what are the amazing things about America that you feel like allowed you to build a company like you to me and a company like you're building at Maven? Like, what do you value about the United States? And what do you think are the unique things about this country that have allowed you to sort of succeed? Yeah, you know, I think that the perspective that I have um, is very different from what I hear and read in the modern climate sometimes. I, I spent almost three years traveling, uh, you know, internationally and just a couple of years ago before I started Maven. And I remember sort of whenever I touched down on American soil, I first of all, I, I was a little bit um, shell shocked because I had a bunch of cultural uh, I had I had what's called reverse culture shock, um, spending, you know, six months in the African bush and then coming coming on to California and hang out with people who just who treat you like a local, but you feel like you've been kind of on this weird adventure. Uh, but the second thing I notice is, you know, it's really the only place in the world where someone who looks like me and acts like me and has my background can be treated like a local. And so I, I just really think that, you know, even as an Indian in Africa, and there's Indians who have been in Africa much longer than my family has been in the United States. Um, I made friends with a number of them. They still feel like a, you know, like a different class of, of, of people. Now, in some ways, they're actually in a higher class because the British and, and sort of, um, depending on where you are in, in, in um, Africa, they actually installed Indian, you know, Indian immigrants as uh, a ruling class of some sort. So, but they are still otherized ultimately, and in in the modern African climate. And you know, when I, even in India, I felt like an outsider being an Indian American. And in Europe, I felt like an outsider because Indian Americans are are somewhat accepted, but it's not the same. In the United States, I feel more at home than anywhere else in the world. And I don't think it's just because I'm born here. I think that we are a country that accepts people far more than any other country. And I think that relative comparison is important because obviously we still do a terrible job of accepting people. (laughs) 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 Like like I would give us a C minus, but I'd give everyone else in the world an F, a flat F. So, and that's the thing that I think is such a missed opportunity from the perspective of both sides of the political spectrum. You need to have one side that that doesn't even want to try to go, go from a C minus to an A. And then you have another side that acts like we're an F and it's just totally intellectually dishonest. It's completely insane. Um, and the problem is that if yeah. you're intellectually dishonest on either side, um, being intellectually dishonest about the fact that immigrants are a big part of our economy and a big reason why America is so successful means that you uh, essentially – uh, are are ignoring one of the key factors to continued economic growth and prosperity. And then on the other side, acting like we are the most racist and most, you know, uh, prejudiced country in the world, when in fact we are by any definition, I think, number one on that, on that spectrum. Um, and also at number one historically, so we're better than we've ever been in the past. 
and acting like that reality isn't there, I think is also morally bankrupt because you then end up not not having the perspective to strive for better uh, because you don't even know how we got to better. We're better right now than we were in the past. And ignoring that uh, means that you can't then make the next steps uh, because this is going to be a gradual shift. And I've seen it over my lifetime, the shift of, you know, being an Indian kid or my parents talk about the sort of overt racism that they they discovered as as immigrants that has now become far less as, you know, um, of course, as we've grown, grown, grown older and as society has become more and more accepting of immigrants like you and me. And so. I, I, I agree with that, actually. I sort of feel as though the current state of social media makes us feel like the country has become more discriminatory against immigrants, et cetera. But based on my personal experience, I feel like the country has actually gotten more accepting over the past 20 years. I'm not, I'm not sure if you feel the same way. I, I don't think there's a question on that. I think it's honestly, yeah. honestly, the only people I think who actually set, who actually don't believe that are people who don't have any perspective. I have almost never met someone who travels yeah. internationally or who has done a fair amount of like, you know, understanding of historical context who doesn't believe that we're in a better state than we ever were before. And that is, it's so sad because we have so many people in the United States who don't have that perspective, who either when they travel, you know, they only go to like Baja, you know, they only go to like Cabo or they go to Paris or London and, you know, they've never been to a slum in Africa (laughs) or they've never been to a refugee camp in, uh, you know, in Bangladesh and they think that they understand the world and they just don't. And then you have the flip side, you have people who haven't, you know, done the research to understand what life was like, not just for uh, oppressed minorities, but also for model majorities, right? The average white American in the 1800s still lived an awful existence. Um, and so those two pieces of context Absolutely. to me are just missing. And it's really disappointing, honestly, to watch because if you don't have that that basic understanding of how the world works, and I'll 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 say this as fact. I, I don't think this is an opinion, but it's a basic understanding of how you know the facts of the of, of the past and of, of the current state. Then how can you make decisions about what you want to do for the future and how we should improve and change? Because we still have a lot to fix in this country. Absolutely. I mean, I I do think things are getting better, but. It feels as though the rhetoric across the country is either you are extreme on either side. And and one of the things that I've one of the reasons I've sort of thought about this issue a lot is because it, it seems as though the way that the U.S. stays competitive, the way that America stays competitive is if we allow people like our parents to come to the U.S. with open arms, if we're more accepting of the top talent. I mean, some of the best people from these countries have come to the United States over the past 25 years. And I feel like China and other, and other countries have realized that that has been the U.S.'s competitive edge and are making it more favorable for immigrants, you know, top, top talent in these countries to go there rather than the U.S., and I worry we'll lose our edge. Do you think that this like could be an issue that unifies both the both the left and the right, where we sort of feel, hey, we need to be, we need to make sure our culture lives as the top or the U.S. way is the winner, because that's what I worry about is that we lose our edge over time. 
Yeah, I'm I'm still optimistic. Uh, I think that, you know, a, as an example, Ch- China provides t- two things. One, uh, I think they just made a massive own goal on themselves over the last two years, uh, both in terms of, you know, any contribution they had to uh, the challenges that we're having in the pandemic. Although I don't personally think they they I think those are more perceived than reality based on what I can see, but I'm not an expert here. The other area, though, that I think they really did um, screw up is that they've dramatically come, come down on private industry. And in doing so, they have they are going to face long term cultural that's a good societal uh, ramifications in terms of, uh, you know, just reducing trust. Trust is, is is like the number one thing for commerce. Actually, people don't people people don't talk about this amount, but you know, yeah. uh, and and the trust is going to go away. It's going to reduce in China. There's still going to be entrepreneurs, still going to be people, but and so that's like yeah. that's a, such a massive opportunity. And then actually, I'll add a third thing, which is that China has made some geopolitical moves that the United States can take advantage of, right? Increased aggression in Hong Kong uh, and totally. South China Sea uh, means that the United States can utilize this to rally and sort of right size our, you know, the last decade in American politics has just been a total disaster. I'd love to see us take advantage of this new air, new, new of the new mistakes that yeah. China's made to rally um, and potentially improve our, uh, our system and start to make some changes. But I, uh, I I don't know uh, what's going to happen, um, but I'm on the optimistic side. Uh, I just kind of believe that we have all the fundamentals, and the last decade is kind of just noise. At the end of the day, if you look at the arc of history, and I think that it'll be a it'll be a period where we look back and feel kind of shitty about. But I don't think that means that that it, that the world is ending. Right, and I I completely agree. Uh, and so. I think that, that that sort of brings me to my last question, which may be a, a, a relatively long answer, um, but it, it's a hokey question, I guess, when you really think about it. But I think it's an important question is, is it do you think that the U.S. is still the greatest country in the world? And, and are we on, a, on the right path? Or are we on the wrong path? Do you think entrepreneurs are going to go elsewhere? It sounds like you sort of answered that question with, with the, you know, the China, the China statement. But would love to understand your view for our listeners, because I think we tend to forget how lucky we are to be in this in this country. And that I want to see a a lot more people our age participate in the political environment, knowing that it's for good. So would love to know your your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I think America is still the greatest country in the world. I think that we'd have to do a lot more. to lose that title if we wanted to over the next decade or two, we would have to have, I don't know, two, two to four more decades of, of, you know, malaise in order to get to the point where we aren't that, that country. Um, and we still have the title and I think we're still on a good path. I mean, entrepreneurship is blossoming in the United States still today, despite the um, challenges that are increasing for immigrants. Uh, we still have great, um, high levels of immigration. We still have the largest commerce and most open commerce market in the world, um, despite increasing reg, you know, regulatory uh, capture. I still see, you know, in healthcare and education and in 
the life sciences, et cetera, that it's still the best place in the world to innovate. It's not the only place in the world to innovate. So one of the positives that's come over the last decade or two is that I think there are many more countries out there that are um, starting to have real relevance in terms of what they can do. And so I, I do think that there's not as much of a need to move to the United States if you're an entrepreneur. Uh, but it's still probably the best place to be if you're if you're just taking it from a blank slate. I mean, let's say you had no community anywhere and we're just you know coming from space. I, I'd still say you know you, you'd want to land in. Frankly, I'd still say you want to land in San Francisco, New York, Boston. You know, uh, or you know the old <laughs> the older school cities. Like those are the three <laughs> cities I'd probably still recommend if you wanted to come in and be an immigrant and start a company. You know, um, and. Uh, I'm a big fan of Austin and Seattle and Portland and the this and you know Chicago and you know Kansas City and these cities that are starting to rise and I'm impressed by it. But I think at, at least today, um, you know, you still have a better shot in San Francisco, New York, or Boston. Agreed. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think that there are may, definitely issues in San Francisco governmentally, but you know, in the greater Bay Area, there still are good opportunities to start companies and. I hope that our government realizes that high taxes and, and sort of regulatory capture, as you mentioned, is, is one of the things that could harm San Francisco, New York and, and cause people to go out to other places like they have. Um, and, and, and me, you know, I'm, I'm planning on having Aaron from Carbon, uh, who you co-founded Udemy with on the show also, who is a first generation or actually himself an immigrant. Um, could you tell me just, could you give some advice to the audience in terms of if you are an immigrant or, and you're, you know, going through high school or college and you want to be an entrepreneur, what kind of advice would you provide to that first generation, um, American or, or any American that's looking to be an entrepreneur and successful like you? Um, (laughs) I think that, I think one of the most interesting things about American high school and sort of like junior high culture is that it actually makes it seem like, you know, being an immigrant is uncool or a lot of the, the subtext things that you do, you know, like football players are still sort of revered over, you know, mathletes and, you know, b- b- being a science nerd <laughs> or, or being good in school isn't, isn't necessarily still cool these days. And I'd say like, stick it out and, and stick to your guns and, and keep being, you know, uh, hardworking and, and caring about academics and trying to be, you know, doing interesting things. Cause literally a decade later, when you go from being like 15 years old to 25 years old, the balance of power shifts and it never goes back pretty soon being that nerdy immigrant who's working in, you know, doing yeah. extracurriculars and trying to get into college, uh, becomes the cool thing. And once you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s, and from what I can see all the way until the rest of your life, which is, you know, going to be 80% of your time on earth, hopefully, uh, it's going to actually pay off. So don't don't assimilate too much. Uh, I really do believe in assimilation. Uh, You know, that's part of the Indian American ethos is to assimilate with American culture. But uh, don't assimilate so much that you lose the advantages of being an immigrant. Uh, in order to gain social favor, uh, take take the opportunity to you know l- l- let let yourself get comfortable with the discomfort of not being socially the coolest kid on the block, uh, because it will pay off in your in your twenties, thirties, and forties and beyond. 
Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Goggin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, this has been fun. I'm glad to see another optimist or hear from another optimist. Um, anything else you wanted to say or, or should we uh, take that as a wrap? No, that's it. Thanks so much, Darian. Thanks for putting the show on. <laughs> for sure. Um, but thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Goggin Biani, uh, founder, CEO of Maven and uh, previously founded Udemy, one of the, the top education technology companies in the world. So very excited to have him on the show.